Welcome in to the D1 Softball Podcast. We have seen games actually on the field. There is no more predicting, kind of. We have actually seen some action <laughs> with college softball here in 2023. We are so glad that you are joining us here on this Monday. Gray Robertson, across from the great Tara Henry, who celebrated her birthday yesterday. Happy belated birthday, Tara. How are you? Thank you so much, Gray. Uh, I'm fantastic and just... Had a great birthday. Got to watch softball, spend time with family and friends, and just ready to get into it and, and talk about opening weekend because, boy, was it exciting. Oh, man. Yeah, I got to watch Rihanna, the Super Bowl, all the softball. What a time it was here on opening weekend. This is the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. Remember, there is a promo code that you can use, PODCAST20. If you use that when you get an annual subscription on D1Softball.com, it's 20% off for the year. Again, the code is podcast20. Okay, all that's out of the way. It's time to dive into the leadoff, Tara. And where else to begin but Clearwater? <laughs> I mean, we're going to be there this weekend, both of us. It's going to be a great time. going to be awesome. The story of softball really came from the NFCA leadoff classic down in Clearwater when Texas and Kentucky ended in a tie in a game in which Kentucky led at one point seven to four. The game ended in a tie at four because of a drop dead time. There have been a lot of talks and discussions about how this went down. Was Texas stalling? Was Mike White using stall tactics? I personally have a lot of questions about the scheduling of the entire day that I'm going to dive into in just a bit, Tara. Uh, the timeline of this and how it went down is really fascinating. What did you make of this as it was unfolding between the Longhorns and the Wildcats? You know, it's funny, Gray, because obviously I was out watching other games, so I was unaware that this was even happening, and I actually got a text from you uh, about what was happening in the, the Kentucky-Texas game. And I was sitting with Chris Plank uh, and Patrick Dunn uh, from, from Oklahoma and watching uh, Oklahoma's San Jose State and turned back and said, hey, you guys, we got to take a look at this and ended up having the discussion. So I didn't get to see it live. But at the end of the day, um, I think you can look at it a couple different ways. I mean, you know, Mike jo Mike's White's job, easy for me to say, is to win games. Uh, Rachel Lawson's job is to win games. So I think you're right, Gray. I think diving into that scheduling issue, uh, I think diving into the fields, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about uh, in Clearwater is also something that uh, we could take a look at. Uh, would I have done it that way? Probably not. But again, I think when you know jobs in, are on the line and uh, you've got two teams that are two high caliber teams uh, playing, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I haven't seen the full replay. I just was watching uh, some of it. But I, I'm going to lean on you, Greg, because you saw it live. It was fascinating. I mean, you saw Texas make a pitching change and then have a, a visit to the circle. And then Kentucky had a runner leave early. But on a pitch from a Texas pitcher, I believe it was Sophia Simpson, that was like 10 feet left of the plate. And then you had in the next inning pinch runners come in. You had a contact solution situation in, in a game, by the way, Texas was down three and they had two on base with two batters at the plate. They could have just tied it regularly. That was also an option. 
I don't know. You know, you're you're paid to win games. You can also play to win games. And Texas was really not doing that. They weren't swinging until there were two strikes on the board. Uh, I thought that was that was fascinating. But also, as we mentioned, the scheduling really befuddles me. So Texas and Illinois played a game earlier that day at 9:30 a.m. Central, or excuse me, Eastern Time on Field Eight. Now this is where the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational, or I guess what it is now, the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational. Uh, at the Eddie Seymour complex uh, where that'll be played field eight is a great distance away from where all the other games on Sunday were at fields one through four Tara you can attest to that it's not a short walk no it's not and I've actually made that walk before and I've also been on the trolley there is a trolley that you can take uh, from one field to the other but it's a good 10-15 minute walk from from one field to the next maybe even 20 if you're just kind of you know strolling down the street but those fields are not close to one another it, for those of you that have been to Clearwater, been to that event. So yes, I, I would agree with you, Gray. That's a little bit uh, of an issue, especially on getaway day. So, yeah. you know, teams are, are getting out of there. They've got to get home. They've got a, a drop dead a time frame. So you're putting and and it's a high caliber matchup, right? So we've got two top 25 teams. And so a lot of eyes are going to be on that game. And, and it's something that looking back on as a tournament, um, organizer uh, as somebody that can have these games late in the day, that's something to consider. Uh, and, and I know, you know, we talked about this, Greg, but um, was it done properly on both sides? You know, uh, it, you could argue no, uh, Rachel and or uh, Mike, Mike, Mike White. So um, what are your, what are your true thoughts on this, Greg? I mean, I, I just, I feel icky about it, honestly. I, it seems like the kind of thing, you know, everybody talks about, oh, the game knows, the game knows, the game is going to get somebody for something here. Uh, I, I again, this, you know, just to go back to the scheduling, um, Pittsburgh and Fordham was on field four at 10 a.m. Why not just have Pittsburgh and Fordham play on field eight? and have Texas and Illinois who also had to play a game at 1230 Eastern time against Auburn over on field four. I don't, I don't quite get it. I would love some answers about how all that was decided. Uh, all in all Tara, a, a bizarre situation. I mean, when you've got the drop dead whistle being blown with two outs and an O2 count, uh, it's going to become the lead story in college softball. And I think the biggest bummer here is for Kentucky because it was a chance to get a really good they win at a neutral site. And now the committee is forced to look at a team sheet that's going to have this a, as a tie. Now, whether they remember how this goes is up to them. But, you know, this could be something that is a sticking point when we get all the way down to the bracket portion of the year. I mean, this isn't anything new, Gray, from especially from Mike White. Like we last year, what we saw um, him, you know, flipping off the whole entire stadium um there, there's nothing new so it's not a surprise but also again the man is trying to win games as well so i see both sides am i surprised no uh we'll be probably looking back on this uh down the line like you said and, and seeing if this is going to impact um you know both squads but uh, again we're in opening weekend and, and we've already got some exciting uh, things happening here in division one softball yeah, we had some upsets as well. Now there is a new division or D1 softball top 25 poll and we'll be answering questions later on live in the show. So comment them now and we'll show them on the screen. But according to the D1 softball top 25 preseason poll, we had three top 10 teams 
lose to unranked foes in week one. Florida State losing to Longwood. Oklahoma State losing to a Maryland team that is now ranked. The hashtag Rank Maryland campaign has worked. And Alabama <laughs> losing to Lehigh. Tara, where is your concern with those squads, albeit after week one? Uh, I think my biggest concern is going to be with Alabama. And we talked about this, Gray. Um, I think getting Montana a true, um, you know, second there for the tide is really going to be something I'm going to keep my eyes on. And it's tough that that Lehigh loss, I'm going to be honest, it was hard for hard for me to watch that and bringing Montana in late in the game uh, to try and, and, you know, shut, shut that offense down. And, I'd like to see um, the other arms. I'd like to get Salter to some more looks. I'd, I'd like to see uh, Murph allow those kids to stay in and and try and tough it out. Um, so my biggest concern right now is is Alabama and the Crimson Tide. And uh, I know you got to watch them firsthand. You were there in person, so I know it's a little bit different view for you. But from watching streaming, uh, Alabama would be um, the one that I'm, I've got my eye on out of those three. Yeah, I was calling the game with my All-American partner, Kaylee Tao, who crushed it this week on our SEC Network broadcast. I was really impressed by what Lehigh did. Uh, As we were talking about earlier, I think Alabama made mistakes, but I didn't think they played horrible. But Lehigh just took advantage of the times Alabama did slip up. Uh, Oklahoma State had some meh performances this weekend. You know, North Carolina, they only beat them 3-2 an Ole Miss team that struggled today against North Dakota State. Uh, they had a couple issues with last night, only won 3 nothing, and that was kind of a scary seventh inning for the Cowgirls. Um, Oklahoma State, you know, I still think that they're a good team. They're, they have a chance to beat anybody anytime Kelly Maxwell is in the circle. But they did not impress me as much as I thought they might on opening weekend. Uh, that doesn't change how I feel about them as a championship contender, but I didn't think it was the all-around best weekend for the Cowgirls. I agree with you, Gray. I think anytime you've got Kelly Maxwell on the mound, uh, you've got a good shot at winning. A little concerned with their offense and what we saw, like you said, in week one and something that, um, you know, she's going to need some support. You know, you've got Kelly, she's in there, you know, 10 plus strikeouts every game, but still you, you've got to have an offense that that delivers. And uh, again, I agree with you. I, I think uh, looking at the Cowgirls, another issue uh, heading uh, into week one. Remember, folks, if you want to ask a question about the D1 Softball Top 25, ask it in the chat, and we'll, if we can, put it up on screen and discuss it live here on the show. We, of course, though, have one question that we're going to ask every week here on the D1 Softball Podcast, and that is, where in the world is Tara Henry? As we detailed last week, Tara, you were at the Mark Campbell Invitational in Irvine, California. You saw a lot of really good games. Let's dive into it. What what stood out from the weekend? You know, I, I did. I, I, I was able to watch a ton of top 25 matchups. But most importantly, I got to watch the Sooners in person. And we've talked a lot about this in, in week one and what, what we saw. My biggest concern with the Sooners is the amount of free passes that they – Uh, allowed over the weekend 17 uh still winning games and and giving up 17 free passes i mean that tells you something that you know they still know how to win but jordy ball uh, she had a a pretty good game her first uh, game out and then 
uh, started to struggle with control. Uh, we saw that with May as well, but then May comes in uh, and does a heck of a job. And, and we'll, we'll talk to Coach uh, Patty Gasso, head coach Patty Gasso later on uh, in the show, but really impressed with how May came in uh, on that, that last day and, and how she shut down Washington. Uh, talking about Washington, really impressed uh, with, with uh, Ruby Malin, uh, the freshman, the rookie, uh, for her to come in, in a tight situation runners on second and third and to get three strikeouts in a row in her debut, like her debut as a Husky, that's what she does. I think there's a bright future there for her uh, and the Huskies. Uh, so we got to be able to watch those two, some freshmen as well. Uh, Nairi Kennedy, a no, no, no hitter for, for Stanford and uh, Amina Vega had a nice uh, weekend for Duke. Haley Lee, I think we're going to see a lot more out of Haley Lee uh, as well from the Sooners. But again, just a great weekend at the Mark Campbell Classic. Had a little bit of an issue with the press box, uh, not going to lie, at the Mark Campbell Classic, but was able to sit um, with the SIDs uh, after that and enjoy some, some good softball uh, in Southern California. Boy, that Oklahoma-Washington game was a ton of fun. Madison Husky went toe-to-toe with the series. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Uh, for me, one thing that really stuck out watching that game, I thought Washington had a great plan against Jordy Ball, and I felt like they threw that plan out the window when Nicole May came in. They started chasing way more when she was in than they ever did with Ball. Um, and, and I know Jordy was struggling with her control at times, but it, it just seemed like a complete 180 from the offensive plan that the Huskies had when the game started. And in terms of Oklahoma, I watched them play Liberty. I watched them play mm -hmm. Washington. I, I watched clips of some of the other games. I think it's fascinating that the offense was just kind of fine. Like we know that they're going to be good. We know that they probably are good, but they missed a lot of chances to get key hits in big situations. I, I immediately think of against Liberty when they had the bases loaded with nobody out and didn't mm -hmm. score a run against Carly mm -hmm. Keeney, a pitcher who got shelled by Duke and Washington later on in the tournament. Uh, Oklahoma is going to be good. They're going to be fine. Don't overreact to week one. But they did not come out guns blazing on offense like I thought they would. And like, frankly, a lot of people on Twitter were telling me that they would. Well, you know, Jordy had six walks uh, in that game. And then May came in and she had three. So you're right. Washington did have a plan. But when May came in, uh, she started throwing more down in the off speed. And you're right. They, they started uh, a lot of swing and misses uh, with May on the mound against Washington. But we've got to talk about Keeney and, and her performance against uh, Oklahoma she was impressive, and we. I mean, I was ready to rank Liberty uh, <laughs> at that point, and then you're right, turn around uh, and, and get shelled. Uh, I, I, yeah, that's probably the best uh, uh, description of it. But I was, we talked about this. I was ready to rank Liberty, and, and I was really impressed with them against uh, Oklahoma and Furkini. Uh, basically, Oklahoma scores on the air. Uh, and that's one of the most prolific offenses. And we have to remember, they don't have Kinsey Hansen too, behind the dish. Uh, she had emergency surgery. Uh, Kinsey, uh, she posted about it, had her appendix out. So she wasn't even in uh, California. So again, a, a little bit different look for the Sooners. And uh, we'll, we'll see how they do uh, heading into week two. You're ready to rank Liberty. I was ready to rank a lot of teams that just lost <laughs> on Sunday. So thank you for your help with that, teams across the country. Oklahoma does not have to worry at all about where they're ranked. And that leads us into, of course, the cleanup hitter.
It's a woman who knows a little something about cleanup hitters, Tara. You had a chance to catch up with Oklahoma head coach Patty Gasso out there in Irvine. Yes, Coach Gasso. Uh, just a pleasure to speak to. After this, we had some uh, egg rolls or homemade egg rolls uh, by Sophia Nugent's grandmother. Um, so, uh, I mean, it was it's great. And just to get her insight and, and She's really honest about the Sooners and what the adversity they faced this past weekend. I hope you'll enjoy it. Darren, you're live from the Mark Campbell Collegiate Invitational with head coach Patty Gasso, Oklahoma Sooners, the number one team in the country. Patty, what has it been like for you to come back to California, this experience to bring the Sooners uh, back to SoCal, where a lot of your players are actually from? It's wonderful weather, fantastic field prep and work on – Deanna Manning, Bill Barber, feels great. They've done a really good job. Over a thousand fans out. So uh, for a February start of the season, it's been fantastic. And originally from Southern California, what's it like for you to be back here and play every year here now in this tournament and one of the best tournaments, if not the best tournament, to start off the season in Division One. Well, um, I got to see two of my good high school friends. My mom came out to the game, which was a big deal for me um, because I don't know how much longer that will be able to happen. Um, 42 years ago, I played at El Camino College and three of my, my former teammates came out and unfortunately I didn't immediately recognize them. So that was a little squirmish for me, um, but a lot of fans here who love the Sooners, um, a lot of our players from SoCal, so it's, it's, and we tried to really make it feel like a home OU environment, uh, so I think fan engagement was really, really fun. Yeah, we posted on Twitter, there's a, a actual video of the amount of fans coming into the stadium uh, just two nights ago. What is it like, the atmosphere, I think it's you know, you can liken it to a Mary Nutter. You can liken it to even the Women's College World Series. What is it like for your players to play in front of a crowd like that and, and have those high-pressure situations really early on? It, I can't tell you what it meant to us to feel that this early. Um, a lot of new faces, so it was new to them. And where do you get that many fans in February? And this kind of competition. So the energy, but the intensity and... We learned about resiliency. We did not play well on Thursday, the opening day. They answered back on Friday. We didn't play great on Saturday, but against a very good Washington team, we just kept fighting and found a way to get through it. We had some pitchers step up, Colmay specifically, in the end to get us out of the jam. So I, we've learned so much in this first weekend. and. Tight games are important, and run rules don't serve anybody well. Special, I mean, at least that's what I feel. And for this team, it doesn't make us that better. We got a lot better in a short period of time. And you touched a little bit on this three top 25 wins just in the first weekend. And, you know, I think there was a lot of people last year that said it was more of a cupcake schedule. And I, I, I would say this year, <laughs> there's, there's no let up in your schedule. Talk to me a little bit about putting the schedule together yeah. this year, because it's it is arguably, I think, the toughest schedule in the country. I can't force people to play us. So, I mean, you got to pay. I got to pay. I got to pay a lot of money to get people to come to us. 
So I think teams are looking for warm weather, good fields, and good environment. And that's why we got this going. And I, I think you'll see good competition every February for continuing to work out here. Um, Mary Nutter, we always get some good competition there. But we've got Florida State coming in, thankfully. We're going to LSU. Uh, we've got Auburn coming in, Northwestern coming in, playing at the Hall of Fame Stadium and going to Mississippi State. So we're we're going. They're coming. A lot of teams want to come play at the Hall of Fame Stadium, so we make that feel very special. Last year at that tournament, we had over 5,000 people out there. So um, it's it's just in my lifetime and yours, <laughs> I've seen kind of the way things have gone where, you know, a tournament like this 15 years ago, there'd be maybe 300 people, maybe. Yeah. Um, so the growth and the energy and the excitement and the televised versions of it now on all kinds of different networks has been tremendous. So it's just been fun to watch everything change in a wonderful way. Yeah, it's incredible how our sport has grown. Like you said, just, just the sheer people that are in the stands, it's incredible. And you, know, you touched on this a little bit. I really want to talk about Nicole May because I've always said that she doesn't get enough credit. Um, I think it's just because of who she is personally and she's very quiet on the mound, not a ton of emotion, but you know, Jordy, Jordy struggled last night and Alex Rocco had a good outing, but Nicole May, her ability to come in in relief and really shut down um, opposing offenses. What, what is that conversation you have with her and, and her mentality? I want to kind of dive a little bit of that because I think she's the quiet one that we don't talk enough about. A hundred percent. And Watching her this fall, I felt something different. I think she's been a little more pain-free in her knee, and that's helped her a lot. Um, her maturity level, her attention to her craft. I mean, she really wants to find ways to get better. If it's through mobility that can help her, I mean, she'll do all the extras needed to make her great. And you're right, she's not that flashy, you know, she's just but I, I felt this was going to be her year. She's already showed that um, this early time of the season against good hitters. So um, she doesn't like the attention. She doesn't want the attention. <laughs> she gets a little squirmish when people talk about her. But um, she's definitely a big part of this. And um, I think the word was, I think you might have, uh, Patrick, our SID, <laughs> may have used um, the word ice. And I felt she yeah. was pretty icy this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And last but not least, I think maybe because some of the Sooner fans and some of the fans across the country are, are worried that OU doesn't have its offensive power. And I just want you all to know that the fields here are 230. So to put this into perspective, I was at UCLA yesterday, that's 190, and you come here at 230. So, but Patty, I want to ask you, uh, <laughs> we can talk to JT about this, but, uh, you know, the offense did start a little slow. Maybe, you know, I think Getting into the season uh, and playing tough competition and good pitching uh, is another uh, part of that. But talk to me a little bit about the offense and, and what you've been working through. Yeah, I think we came out pressing, definitely. I mean, it, it's not easy. I mean, we talk a lot about just not caring where you're ranked. It really doesn't matter until you're in the end. So there's no pressure, but there is. I mean, there's just a lot of talk about the Sooners and things that a lot of times we aren't really wanting, but it's necessary because they're deserving the attention. 
So it's how do we handle that? And I don't think we handled it well on Thursday. I think we figured it out, handled it really well on Friday. And although we didn't, we weren't our best by any means on Saturday, to beat a team like Washington and have those many walks or free bases, errors, um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it was a good story for them. And they realized, you know, that good teams cannot play well and still find ways to win. And that's that was a big lesson that we learned uh, yesterday. So a lot came out. It's probably more got came out of this weekend, first weekend, than I can ever remember in my career of getting so much information and feedback and change in a short period of time. I think that's going to pay dividends, obviously, heading into a crumsy. Last one. Favorite thing. <laughs> Last one. But favorite thing the team did outside of softball here uh, in California? Well, okay. I think for them, they went to the beach yeah. and it was 60 degrees and blowing. <laughs> and I think they thought they were going to be in shorts and tank tops and look at us. So they got some photo ops by them. But um, you know what, too, is that there's been some beautiful sunsets here. And they've enjoyed, this is a team that loves sunsets and nature and things like that. So I think they, they got a chance to get out and feel it a bit, but it was a little chilly. Yeah, it's a little chilly here for Californians. Well, thank you so much, Sherry Henry here live with head coach Patty Gasso of Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, Sooners, Peace. You, know where, you know where to find them. Peace and love from Patty Gasso. She's the best. Icy. I love it. Nicole May, icy. Um, but end of the day, gathering information, like she said, in in uh, opening weekend for the Sooners to have that, I think that was really important for, for that offense. And again, something that, you know, she said it herself in all of her years of coaching, one of the best challenges and the, and the best way to gather information this past weekend. Absolutely. Thank you to Coach Gasso for chatting with Tara and for joining us on the D1 Softball Podcast. And now it's time to talk about polls. Tara, are you ready to answer the hard questions? We hope that you are sending them in, viewers and listeners out there. Please put it in the comments. Ask us a question about the new D1 Softball Top 25. We've got one from Janet already, and we will put them on the chat and on the screen uh, as they come in. Uh, again, if you want to see that poll, check out d1softball.com. What a website. Janet asks about those Florida Gators, Tara, coming in at number three in the top 25. Well, Florida Gators, they scored a lot of runs this weekend. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say that. I mean, they outscored opponents. What is it? Almost 40 to two. I, is that right, Gray? 40 to two on the two. weekend. Thank you. 41 to two outscoring opponents. They played Boston University, Boston College and uh, Illinois State. Their their game against South Florida was canceled, I believe, due to weather. But, uh, you know, those aren't top 25 matchup, but still, that's that's a lot of runs to be scoring. Uh, that offense is, is clicking already in, in week one. Yeah, Florida was, I think, close to a unanimous, if not unanimous, number three selection for the team. Uh, I, you know. It, it was an opening weekend. I mean, they took care of business and 
then some against some teams that they should take care of business against. Uh, another rousing rivalry game between Florida and Illinois State. It seems like they play every single year. Uh, and you know what? Florida is a team that is always going to be there because it's Florida. You know, they're always going to have a talent. They're always going to be tough. Uh, and I don't see any reason to doubt them after opening weekend. You know, with Skylar Wallace and, and Charlotte Eccles and Kendra Falby and then the, the myriad of arms that they have available in the circle. While maybe not elite, collectively they form a very good, if not close to elite, pitching staff. I agree, Gray, but, you know, we, we've got to wait and see to when uh, they face some, some top 25 competition. They're not going to get really tested until, looks like late February, they've got UCLA. Um, so that Thursday game, it's Thursday, February 23rd against UCLA. Uh, they'll also see Oregon. But, again, let's wait and see when they're tested. They'll see Cal State Florida in that same week, too. But, yeah, Florida Gators, uh, number three, uh, unanimous almost across the pool. Thank you, Janet, for your question. Again, if you have a question out there, please send it in the chat. I've had some people text me uh, questions about the Maryland Terrapins. Tara, I mentioned earlier my hashtag Rank Maryland campaign. The Terps are coming in at number 24, and they deserve to be there after a phenomenal weekend down in Mexico. How about the Big Ten? I mean, uh, Maryland, when I spoke to Mark Montgomery for the fall report for D1 Softball, uh, he was really excited about this team. And anybody that knows Mark Montgomery, uh, he is an incredible coach in what he's been able to do with Maryland and to come up with that big win. Uh, it's just great to see them ranked in the, in the top 25. And uh, again, another team to keep an eye on uh, heading into the next couple weeks here. Yeah, we'll see. They've got the ACC Big Ten Challenge coming up this weekend. So they will play, I believe it's North Carolina and Virginia twice against each opponent. Uh, all right, we've got time for a couple more questions. I've also had some people uh, in, in the Twitter mentions asking about Texas A&M Terra, another new top 25 team slipping in at number 25. You know, undefeated opening weekend. The offense was stellar. Over 400, well over 400 as a team. Trinity Cannon is your SEC co-player of the week. But, you know, they didn't really do it against the stiffest competition. That's going to change this weekend in Clearwater. We're going to find out a lot about the Aggies and whether they should stay in the rankings this weekend. Yeah, so 6-0 and at home. Uh, Trisha Ford, first-year head coach there. But you're right, Gray. They'll, they'll face Oklahoma State, Arizona, UCF, South Florida, uh, and Nebraska. So I think we're going to find out uh, if the Aggies, like you said, uh, are staying in that poll. They, they're going to get tested this next weekend. What a slate for them uh, and for Trisha Ford and, and her first year there uh, with Texas A&M. All right, we're running short on time. So is there anything else you want to point out about the top 25 poll, Tara, or should we just move on to the best players? Uh, I, unless anybody else has any more questions, I think uh, we'll, we'll go into the top 25 players. We do have one more. Do we one want to more. do it? Okay. Let's do Go it. on, then. <laughs> Shouldn't Texas be ranked above Kentucky because that was where they ranked in the poll last week? Tara, you want to take this one? <laughs> sure. So technically it did end in a tie. The, the game did end in a tie, but we all know that the Kentucky Wildcats scored three runs and uh, – we're probably going to get that W. Uh, so at the end of the day, again, um, 
we do watch games here. It's not just a taking a look at a piece of paper. Uh, we, it, it is an eye test. So we're going to rank uh, Kentucky over Texas. We're going to give them um, that hypothetical uh, win o- over the Longhorns. Anything to add, Gray? I'm only human. I watched Kentucky be up by three. And I think Kentucky was going to win that again. Texas, you know, had two on base. They had the tying run at the plate in the eighth. But also, you know, another thing about it, that was a game where Stephanie Schoonover pitched the entire way for the Wildcats, gave up the four runs in the first two innings, and then really did a great job shutting down that offense and allowing the Wildcats to come back. So so whether or not, you know, that, that had gone final, whether or not we're looking at a tie, Kentucky had the momentum going into the eighth anyway. Uh, so whether there weren't time constraints, I still think Kentucky would have found a way to win if we were just playing a regular eighth. Uh, I think that um, Kentucky is a better team than Texas right now, and I will stand by that. And there you have it. Thank you for the What question. a great last question. What a great last question to just like throw in there. What a What a perfect segue into our podcast players of the week. All right, so here's how it's going to work. We're each going to pick one player that we want to highlight as our D1 Softball Podcast Player of the Week. Tara, you go first. I have a couple, but we'll I'll, we'll start with one. Um, <laughs> yeah, just be good. We're going with Maya Brady. Uh, anybody that uh, was watching college softball this weekend, what an incredible first week for her. 25 total bases. She had four home runs, 13 hits, uh, 13 RBIs, and just tore the ball um, up all weekend long. Her 13 hits through the first six games of the season are tied for the second most in UCLA history. Kylie Perez had 14 in 2017, so she's now uh, at number two, just ahead of Natasha Watley, who had 13 in 2003. Or she's tied with Natasha Watley, Stephanie Ramos, uh, and again, Natasha Watley. So that's some pretty good company uh, for my Brady, Brady, Brady to be in. My D1 softball player of the week is... Somebody I have known for a couple years now. She is from the FGCL. I watched her in summer ball years ago, and now she's killing it with the Wichita State Shockers. It is Lauren Lucas, who is announced today as the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week. You know, if I were playing softball, one of the things that would be a real highlight of my life would be to see the great Graham Hayes send a tweet highlighting something I had accomplished. And that's what happened for Lauren Lucas. She hit 647 on the weekend in five games, 12 RBIs, six doubles, a 684 on base percentage, and had a home run as well. This is a Wichita State offense is going to keep on keeping on. They're just doing exactly what they've done the last few years. And it wasn't Bernard. It wasn't McKinney. It was Lauren Lucas who led the charge this weekend. She is my D1 softball podcast player of the week. I'm just going to add in two more Taylor Pleasants. We know Pleasants had a, an incredible uh, opening weekend. And when she struggled last year, and for her to go 533 uh, with 13 RBIs, eight hits, four home runs, uh, incredible job here. I don't know if you can hear Red walking around. That was Red's little little pause. Sorry about that. Uh, and then we got Jada Kearney as well. Uh, in the, I'm going out to the SEC. She hit 642, four home runs, 10 RBIs, a 1.385 slugging percentage, uh, five walks, uh, and a a six eleven on base percentage. So those two hitters as well um, are right on up there. You're just trying to cover up the homerism by picking Brady and then picking two of my people from the SEC. 
Yeah, I mean, probably that's probably exactly what I was doing. <laughs> well, from the best players to the best <laughs> plays in the most impactful games, it's time for a new segment that we're going to do each and every week, the 6-4-3 win probability play of the week. And we're not going to talk as much about a specific play, Tara, but a game. Texas Northwestern lived up to the back-and-forth hype down there in Clearwater. There were no drop-dead times here. It was just a good old softball game. You know, it was. And at one point, so I want everybody, all of our listeners and viewers, to head on over to the site and check out the win probability tab. And if you you click on that game, you can see at one point – Texas, it was a 100% chance for Texas to win that game. Now, Northwestern eventually came back and won, but the really cool thing about this model, this win probability model that our friends at 643 have developed, as we get later in the season, it's going to be based on RPI. So basically, that win probability model is going to get smarter. So it's gathering information from games earlier in the season. And as we head in to uh, conference play uh, to the postseason, it is only going to get smarter. Now, this is available for every single game in Division I softball. You literally cannot get that anywhere else. And it is a new feature on the website for our subscribers and and one that I got lost in uh, two days ago for for hours and hours uh, in that win probability uh, model. So head on over to the site on the scores tab. All you have to do is go to win probability and you'll be able to check that out. Gray, thoughts on the new win probability model? I love it. I was the sicko looking at Alabama Lehigh <laughs> the day after be like, hmm, where did it go wrong? Let's take it. Let's take a gander. No, it's a, it's a really awesome tool. And I highly recommend everybody checks it out on D1Softball.com. Again, just what a splendid, spectacular website over there. And that'll be something that we do each and every week. We'll be looking at the under the radar games, the biggest games of the weekend. So stay tuned to that here on the D1 Softball Podcast. That's Tara Henry. I'm Gray Robertson. We've talked about the week that was. It's time to look ahead at three big things. All right, we're going to Clearwater. It's the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational presented by Evo Shield Terra. And once again, a stacked slate down in Florida all weekend long. Nice job on the on the new Tax Act Clearwater Elite Invitational. I had to get it at least once on this show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, excited. I'm going to get to see you, Gray, in person. And I think we're actually going to be able to do some live stuff there from Clearwater. But what an incredible slate of games. How many top 25 teams are in this tournament is out of control. Uh, out the gate, Texas A&M, like we said, they're going to get challenged out the gate with, with uh, Oklahoma State. Then we got Duke and Alabama uh, and then Florida State and Arizona on that Thursday. But Greg, what are what what game are you most excited to see uh, heading to Clearwater? There are a couple that really stick out. I, I think Texas A&M Oklahoma State is actually really fascinating because if I'm Oklahoma State, I'm looking at that and saying, do I want to throw Kelly Maxwell in this game, especially <laughs> with Virginia Tech just right on the horizon the next day, or do I throw Lexi Kilfoyle? Although I have literally seen A&M hammer Lexi Kilfoyle before. So it's an interesting dynamic there considering what A&M just did an opening weekend. But to me, it's Arkansas, Florida State. 
uh, on mm. Friday. This is a fascinating ball game. It's a big test for Florida State before they've got UCLA and Alabama down in Clearwater. Arkansas went 5-0 and in Vegas. The last game against Baylor, they certainly won it, but it was not clean, 11-7. to uh, it, it wasn't exactly a blow-you-away type win. We'll see how for real Arkansas is by how they perform down in Clearwater for the first time. You know, Now that they're truly a national contender, they belong in this field, and they can make a real statement against Florida State on Friday early on. And we're going to get to see Arizona get challenged as well. Uh, you know, I think we talked about that amongst our, our poll and, and is Arizona as good as we, we think they are. And again, another team, the Wildcats will get challenged heading to Clearwater. Uh, again, UCLA Florida State, they always seem to play these epic games in Clearwater. So that's another one I've got my eye on. I sat at that one last year uh, to be able to watch uh, Florida State and UCLA in that matchup and, and see a Brook Inez and, and a, Megan Faramo go out there and attack that Florida State um, offense. Um, just, gosh, there's so many top 25 teams there. Uh, it's going to be overload for us, but can't wait to get out there uh, to Florida and get to hang out a little bit with you, Gray. Before we move on to our last two big things, there is one more little little day I want to point out. Whoever said, you know, sir, for relaxing and eat. They did not consult the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, who on Sunday in Clearwater – will play UCLA and Florida State. Yes. I mean, good luck. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's the Lord's Day, so I'm sure prayers will be had along with some gumbo that day. That's, that's an incredible slate. And, you know, to be honest, this is a Louisiana team that's a little bit different from past years. They don't have a thousand mm -hmm. transfers coming in this season. Uh, we're going to yep. learn a lot about them this weekend, and especially on Sunday against those two. Yeah, and then don't forget the Florida State-Alabama uh, game of the night, Sunday night game. I, I think that's a pretty big one too, Gray. Uh, I know you're not trying to be a homer, but again, I mean, we'll have that primetime slot <laughs> with I Florida mean, State and Alabama as the last game. Tom Canterbury may or may not be testing the radio equipment in the other room right now to make sure that we can go <laughs> on the air on the Crimson Tide Sports Network this weekend in Clearwater. All right, two more big things from this weekend. The ACC Big Ten Challenge. There are challenges happening across the country, Tara, but maybe – the most interesting one is going on in Clemson, South Carolina, as Northwestern, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Ohio State all congregate and play each other this weekend. Yeah, well, that's a good slate uh, for that uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. And we saw Northwestern slip up a little bit this week, but uh, you know how much, how high I am on Clemson. Uh, it's going to be a good test for them uh, with Notre Dame and Ohio State all there. Uh, and Clemson and Northwestern uh, play each other twice, so – Again, that's back-to-back, -back. so we'll see uh, what both of those top 25 matchups um, have in store at that challenge. We, as a D1 team, are very high on Clemson. A chance to get even higher if they can squeeze through that event undefeated. Finally, the last, the third big thing to discuss, a little event in Athens, Georgia, the Black and Gold Showcase Stanford is traveling to take on the Bulldogs and uh, as well as St. John's, who's also there. And St. John's is a team that was leading Northwestern this past weekend in a game that was eventually canceled because of weather. Um, but Stanford and Georgia are going to face off twice, Tara. And I'm interested to see how Stanford bounces back from what you could argue was a disappointing weekend in Irvine. You could argue that. I, I was there and I watched. Uh, they, did, they had glimpses of greatness and but I like that matchup. I like Vodder, Kennedy, uh, and Krause are going to have to face a really tough Georgia offense 
that quite frankly scored a ton of runs this past weekend. So that matchup is going to be um, one that we should all be be having eyes on because again, we saw Vodder. She slipped up a little bit uh, in opening weekend, but Kennedy has a no, no hitter uh, for the Cardinal, but again, against an office that, that includes Gurney um, and uh, another great uh, set of games uh, this weekend. Going to be a blast. There's a lot going on at Clearwater, but if you're at Clearwater, there are other things to watch as well on all of the wonderful platforms on which you can consume softball. And Terry, you can also, of course, read all about it on D1Softball.com. It's time to close the show and find out what's on D1. D1Softball.com. What a website, Tara. What's on it right now? <laughs> uh, first and foremost, we've got our top 25, which we went over. Uh, take a look at the top 25. We've also got what we learned. So what the D1 Softball staff learned after opening week. We've got Washington, possible ace up their sleeve, SEC power, uh, and then Taylor Pleasance. No surprise here for her. Um, we talked a little bit about her, but our what we learned and then the Daily Dozens. Heading into the week, we'll have everything you need to watch on this weekend. So we have a viewing guide for all of our subscribers. Uh, and then we'll have a breakdown uh, per conference and around the nation of, of what we saw throughout the uh, country in on opening weekend. But tons of stuff up there. Uh, as always, head on over to the site, d1sample.com. Uh, and you have any comments, please let, let us know what you think. Yeah, all the people out there asking the questions I see on Facebook, is it on TV? Is it on TV? Just go to d1softball.com and find out with that viewing guide. It was very helpful for me, Tara, and I, I think it would be helpful to all of you out there. Yeah, I, I believe I sent that article to probably 100 people last weekend because it was like, where's who's, who's where, who's what? I'm like, oh, we got it covered for you. There's, there's even links on there. You literally can just go to the site and there's a link to, to where that game's being played. But um, no, thanks. Big hats off to our staff, Rian and Podkey, Graham Hayes and Brady Vernon for all the hard work they do uh, to make this thing run. D1Softball.com. It's a phenomenal website. You can get 20% off an annual subscription with the code podcast 20 and of course, it led to this wonderful podcast, the D1 Softball Podcast, presented by S2 Cognition. Tara, I'm excited to see you in Clearwater this weekend. A great week one. We typically see the number of upsets almost double, if not more so, in week two. It could be a wild episode next week, and I can't wait to see what we're going to be talking about. I was going to say, Greg, didn't we have a stat about upsets uh, that we didn't uh, put into the show? Can you share it with the, the listeners? Sure, a little, a little amuse-bouche, I guess, at the end of the meal. I don't know. Uh, the last two years, we've seen the upset numbers from week one to week two more than double. In 21, it was, and by the way, this is a, a, any ranking, so 19 over 18 would technically count as an upset in the chart I was keeping. 21, it was 4 to 12 from week one to week two. Last year, it was 8 to 17. In 20, the weird year, it went from 17 to 18. That no, Nothing made sense then. But this week, we had nine. How many will we see in week two? We'll find out. <laughs> we're we're going to see a few because we've got a lot of matchups uh, heading into yeah. week two. And we'll talk about it on next week's edition of the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. What a show this was. Thank you to Patty Gasso for joining us. Thank you to the wonderful Kelly Higby behind the scenes, making sure everything runs smoothly. For the amazing birthday girl from yesterday, Tara Henry, I am Gray uh -huh. Robertson. Thank you so much for joining us on the D1 Softball Podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>